firing squad, present arms. Hello, creeps. I was just about to fire off tonight's dead time story. It's about a young soldier who doesn't want to be in the army anymore. I can't imagine why not. I mean, war's a great equal opportunity destroyer. <laughs> now, where was I? Oh, yes. Ready? Mame? And here's my favorite part. Fire! I call tonight's tale... Yellow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White. And we have a unique episode this time. We also have a returning guest. And the reason we have a returning guest is I set up a previous guest to do this podcast. He bailed on me last time. And now, stepping in at the last moment and saving the day is my good friend, Emmy Service. Hi, I'm the second choice. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, let's go with you being the second choice. No, too late. You already said I'm your good friend. It's on, it's on, uh, yeah, it's on camera, so can't take it back. <laughs> but I'm editing this. Damn it! <laughs> We're doing an episode of Tales from the Crypt. You said it wrong. Tales from the Crypt. We're doing an episode of Tales from the Crypt called Yellow, starring Kirk Douglas, Eric Douglas, Lance Hendrickson, and Dan Aykroyd. And this episode is based on the Coldplay song Yellow, correct? Yes. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Just making sure we watch the same thing. This is based on a comic book that was written by William Gaines. It first appeared in Shock Suspense Stories. And they have adapted it to Tales from the Crypt. This was from 1991. Kirk Douglas got an Emmy nomination for his role in this. Did he really? In this TV show. He did get it. He got, he got nominated for an Emmy. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I'm going to have to sit in that one for a minute, how I feel about that. So can we, before we talk about like what happened in the episode, can we talk about the nostalgia for Tales from the Crypt? Because I forgot how much fun this show was. And I remember being younger and it scaring me because it was gorier than the things I usually watched. And it was just a little bit scarier than what I could handle at that age. But when watching it now as an adult, it's so fun and stupid. It is fun and stupid, but this is not a fun and stupid episode. It's, it, it was a fun show. It also a show where the right people get their comeuppance. In, you, in generally, the right people get their comeuppance. Okay. In generally, the right people yes, get yes, their yes. comeuppance. Okay. Which is not probably not the case in this one it, it is and it isn't when we talk about it we'll get yeah we'll it. get there but yes tales from the crypt i believe there was a point where if you were a movie being a movie star was more glamorous than being a television star and if you were a television star your goal was always to be a movie star mm-hmm. countless episode count, countless television shows i'm sorry of actors and actresses leaving the television show to become movie stars yes Nowadays, it's different. Nowadays, movies are pretty bad, and all the good stuff is on television. Yeah. And that's bringing in all the high-end talent, and that's getting all the praise. And I think Tales from the Crypt was the start of people taking television more seriously and actors and actresses taking television more seriously. Uh, this episode is directed by Robert Zemeckis. Yes. Back to which, the Future. Which like, made me do a spit take when I saw that, because I was very surprised. It's produced by Robert Zemeckis and Walter Hill, and which were all big-time directors in Hollywood at the time. There's more names there. I, I can't remember them. Steven Spielberg was actually attached to this project before Robert Zemeckis. He was supposed to direct it. So my opinion, yes, this was when people started taking television more serious. This was one of the shows. I think, okay, I think it's a fascinating take that you think Tales from the Crypt is what got people to take television more seriously because that is not something I ever thought anyone would say. I I wonder if it was, maybe not necessarily that it was um, getting people to take television more seriously, but it was that show that everyone wanted to be a guest star on because it just seemed like fun. Um, and I'm trying to think of what like a more modern equivalent of that would be these days. 
Because there's a lot of really like high caliber guest appearances in various Tales from the Crypt. One of the episodes that sticks in my mind, like from when I was a kid, is the one with Demi Moore, um, who I think at that era was like the height of her Demi Moore-ness. And Jeffrey Cam Jeffrey Tambor was in that as well. Is that the one where she marries the fat guy? Yeah, oh, oh that, gets, that was? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, okay. Because I, I would, I, since you, we've, uh, since you asked me to do this podcast, I actually been going back and watching old episodes of Tales from the Crypt because I forgot how fun it is. Um, and I've already seen like a bunch of, 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 you know, famous people that I forgot were doing this show. I still can't, I don't know if I can get behind the whole the Tales from the Crypt is what made people take television more seriously. I don't know about that. But, but I think it's, I think like movie stars wanted to be on it because it seemed like they were having such a good time. Um, and the, I oh, think I mean, they wanted to be on it because it, there was just a whole bunch of talent behind it. Well, that too. Yeah. Um, I think it attracted people. And, and I wonder also if it was because a lot of the guest stars didn't do things like this often. So it was in a, in a chance to try something completely out of their wheelhouse. And, and the, the opening of the series is still so fun. Like I, I know it was made 30 years ago, but I feel like that opening just still holds up. Like, I want to be in that ride in the house going through. Tales from the Crypt, wasn't that one of the first shows on H? one of the first shows that HBO produced for themselves? I think so, because I remember whenever we had, growing up uh, as uh, as a kid, whenever we had, like, the free HBO weekend, that was one of the things I would try to watch if I if I could find it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that was one of the, um, like, the shows that, I was probably not supposed to watch, but I but I snuck in and watched it anyway. When I was growing up, you had two packages. You could either get HBO and Showtime or uh-huh. the Movie Channel and Cinemax. Oh, they didn't have stars then. Okay, because they didn't have stars back then. I'm that old. Shut up. <laughs> well, stars spe- were movie channels. So, so let's just get into it. This is called Yellow. Yep. It's set in 1918 yep. during World War One. Uh, the in- Great War. The opening shot, the credits, you can hear the war going on in the background, and the opening credits are over this flower in the dirt, the single flower in the dirt. What color was the flower? Uh, yellow. Oh, what are the odds? And I thought, okay, so that flower is either going to get stepped on, yep. or it's going to get, you know, it's going to get rolled, rolled over by a jeep. Tank. Yep. <laughs> or a tank or a jeep. That's what I thought. Literally thought it was going to be rolled over by a tank. Yes. It wasn't. The flower the, lived. The flower was perfectly fine, right? A body comes flying out on top of the flower. And this, right off the bat, this guy's back is blown out. I forgot how gory this show is. And granted, it's not like Saw-level gory, but it's like the 90s version of Saw-level gore. And I and I was like, oh, okay. I Yep, we're going in right away. The captions we get, it's somewhere in France, and it's the 49th day in a row of battles. They, they've, they've been battling, you know, no, no I, I, you don't get a day off in war. <laughs> Wait, you don't clock off on the weekends? It's not yeah. like a nine to five, you get a lunch break? No, really? Oh. This is an epic opening. Yeah, I had that. This note- is an epic opening of world war one like it's not saving private ryan but like the production value on this was impressive like i don't know how like this was one of those scenes where like they must have had like at least a two dozen extras and like the the this landscape like went back really far like they had like depth of uh the field and there was like explosions and like a lot of it was impressive like for a tv show i was surprised at how how expansive the scenes were we start off, <laughs> we actually start off with some very dark comedy. Yup. Lance Hendrickson, he's, uh was a bishop from Alien. He's been in a ton of movies. Pumpkinhead, wasn't that him? Pumpkinhead. Okay. He's one of those actors where you can't really name, you can't really name a movie he's been in, but he's been in every movie. Yeah. If you name a movie, he's probably been in it. He plays Sergeant Ripper and he's, shells are going off and people are yelling. And, he's and trying he to starts fu- at an 11. Like, this thing starts off with Lance Henriksen at an 11. <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. Lance Henriksen steals this episode, in my yeah. opinion. Oh, no, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. He steals this episode. <laughs> now, well, basically because it, this is an all-male cast, and it's basically only the four main actors. Mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas, Eric Douglas, Lance Henriksen, and Dan Aykroyd. The other three are very stoic characters. Mm-hmm. 
And Lance Hendrickson is like you said, an 11. Yep. He's crawling through all this and he's trying to find a lieutenant. He's and the like, eyes are like huge bug eyes wide as saucer. Like the intensity on his face is like, uh, like if you picture a face that sounds like this, that's what his face looks like. <laughs> and he's like, soldier, have you seen the lieutenant? And he pulls him over and he's dead. He's like, damn. And he crawls to another soldier. Soldier, have you seen the lieutenant? Damn, he's dead. And it's this. Wait, wait, wait. But then he goes to the third guy. And the third guy's alive. And he's like, have you seen the lieutenant? And the third guy, like, puts up his arm. He's like, he's over there. And then, like, a grenade comes in. The arm gets blown off. And then that guy goes, damn. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Which is weird because it doesn't match the tone of any of the rest of it. No, it doesn't. That was one of my my main beeps with this was like the consistency of the tone, but we'll get there. He finds a lieutenant drinking behind this tarp. And Lance Hendrickson, he talks like this through in the movie. Lieutenant, we got to take that hill. And the, and the <laughs> lieutenant Douglas. is like... Douglas, Eric Douglas. Kirk Douglas's son in real life. Right, right. Which which also I, I thought added a really fascinating kind of level to everything. This was a later in life child for, for Kirk Douglas. Checks out. And he, he tells the soldier to retreat. He tells Lance Hendrickson to retreat. And, he's, yeah. and Lance Hendrickson, sir, with all due respect, the general told us to take this hill. He's oh, like, well, the general's not getting shot at. So, you know. And it was so funny because Lance Hendrickson is doing that at an 11. And then Eric Douglas is very, like, calm, cool, collected. Be like, hey, it's all right. We're going to retreat. Have a drink. So, like, those two energies immediately are like, whoa, this is very conflicting. Well, I think he's a little drunk. He's obviously a little drunk. Um when i wouldn't i mean it's possible but he didn't read to me as drunk he read he read to me as just like hanging out very clearly like like not hiding but he was not trying to be found like it was in the trenches almost like there was like a little cubby nook in the side that he was like behind a curtain so it was like sort of hiding but when he put when lance Henderson pulled the curtain back he's like oh yeah hey i'm here <laughs> go advance on the germans nah nothing's so they fire a flare, which I guess was the signal to retreat. Which I wondered why Eric Douglas couldn't just do that himself, because he made Lance Hendrickson do it. I'm ordering you retreat to retreat, Lieutenant, or Sergeant, I forget what the ranks are. Like, you fire the flare, and Lance Hendrickson's like, no, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm giving you an order. But I'm like, so why didn't he, why didn't Eric Douglas just fire the flare? Because he's in charge as uh, but he gave the order so like is it he, ga he gave the order i don't know i don't know either and then we see our first scene with dan Aykroyd, and he is calmly walking down this trench while bombs and artillery are going off behind him he's not even phased by it for some reason when he was walking through the trench i i like my first thought was oh he's the priest in this like i don't know why but he had this like aura of like being priestly and then i saw like the whatever bag thing around and he walked in i'm like oh okay it, for, this is this is starting the point where no nobody seems like they're fitting in the same movie like everyone's kind of character and persona and like vibe is wildly different between lance Henriksen, uh dan Aykroyd, and the douglases like everyone seems like they're in their own kind of movie he walks into the bunker yep. and there's kirk douglas there yep general and he is general kale throb <laughs> is that what his name was k-a-l-t-h-r-o-b kale throb mm -hmm. general kale throb and he is he's got a map and dan Aykroyd comes up to him and they start talking military looks like von furstenberg is putting all his resources in his left flank general Spotters are reporting patrols massing here, here, and here. Of course, he may be stealing a page from your book, sir, and feigning an attack. No, that's not von Furstenberg's style. If he's showing an attack there, that's where he intends to go. The son of a bitch always does it. I ain't spied that I. I don't know if we're going to be able to hold that, sir. Already, the Hun artillery positions are zeroing right in on our trenches. Any word from the line yet? No, sir. They should be reaching the top of Round Hill right about now. You think von Furstenberg will buy what we're selling him? I hope so, Captain. You see, if the Germans think we're going on the offensive, they may hesitate just long enough for us to regroup. Brilliant ploy, sir. If we can stay on that hill. Yes,
they needed to take the hill to do something to like distract the Germans or like, or draw it out or like while they were taking the hill, the Germans were doing this, but then we, it would let us do this and this. So like there was some sort of strategy that I was like, I don't really know what that means, but it seemed like there was a plan. There was a reason why they were trying to advance the hill. Well, it's made known that Kirk Douglas is a fantastic strategist. Mm. And yes, they were trying to take the go. If we take the hill, then the Germans are think they'll take the hill. And if they think we're taking the hill, they'll head this way. And if they head this way, that'll give our men a few days rest. I didn't, I've never seen this episode. I didn't read the story. I knew nothing about it. And I made a, I made a lot of assumptions along the way. Some of them are right and some of them are wrong. Mm-hmm. And my first one was, okay, when Eric Douglas retreated, it's like, okay, so this general is like a madman. He's, it's, it's gung-ho all the way. I don't care about my men. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, so he's maybe a general that's Will risen to the rank, but not supposed to be there. So that was my first thought. Right. Which is not the case. He's a very competent, level-headed general. Is he the very model of a modern mini general? I, I don't get it. Anyway. <laughs> so Lance Hendrickson comes in and he tells the general, the general's like, well, how was it when we took that hill? And he's like, we didn't take the hill, sir. We had, we retreated. Who, who wanted the retreat? Lieutenant. And then he, and then Kirk Douglas goes, you mean my son ordered the retreat? Yes, sir. And this is when I went. (gasps) There was a lot of, with all due respect, sir, in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They've got to contact headquarters. Right. So like the guy, the guy, there's like a fifth guy who's like fresh out of college and is doing the like court stenographer kind of thing with like the, oh, call the battlefield. He like does the rotary, calls the battlefield or whatever. And by the way, if I ever had to be in the army, that's the job that I want. I want to be the receptionist in like the general's office where you're just kind of sitting in the tent. You're away from everything else. That guy had a good job. But then, but then they do that to go get Eric Douglas to come in to be like, what is the meaning of this? We established that their communication line has been cut. Yes, yes. So the general's like, so we need to send a troop out to repair it. I want my son to go and you, Sergeant Ripper, Lance Hendrickson, and a couple other guys. And Dan Aykroyd says right away, like, uh, all due respect, sir, I don't think your son should go on this mission. And and Eric, uh, Kirk Douglas is like, no, he's going to go. He's going he's gonna to do the thing. And they're, they're really both Lance Hendrickson and Dan Aykroyd are really pressing him. It's like, no, I don't yeah. think he should go, sir. <laughs> and why not so the general and by the way kirk douglas is 75 yeah in this and he looks fantastic for 75 years old yeah he lived to 103 he lived another 28 years after this. 103 dang yeah so kirk douglas gets into lance hendrickson's face he's like why shouldn't my son go on he's like when and lance hendrickson's trying to dance around it and then Kirk Douglas is just like, why shouldn't he go? And kind of, because he's yellow, yellow sir. sir. <laughs> With all due respect, he's yellow, sir. Yellow. He's a coward. And then Dan Aykroyd's like, yeah, we didn't want to tell yeah. you, but yeah. So Kirk Douglas is like, get him, get him in here. <laughs> no son of mine is going to be yellow. So the next scene, he comes in, Eric. And Kirk Douglas is like, don't you know how to report anymore? So he yeah. takes his hat off. L- Lieutenant Kalethrob reporting for duty, sir. They have this pretty long scene between them. You can tell that uh, uh, not much of Kirk Douglas's charisma wore off on his son. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think it became very clear very quickly. I'm like, oh, this one didn't do much acting after this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's he's fine. Dan Aykroyd and Lance Hendrickson, I, I thought they did great jobs acting with Kirk Douglas, yeah. acting with it would in essence a Hollywood legend. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. I, I thought they did fantastic jobs, but you can really tell that Eric is just not in his league when yeah. they have to act together. Because oh, there's oh, another oh. scene later where they have to act together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think those scenes were palatable because Kirk Douglas was like carrying him through it. He was carrying the scenes. So Kirk Douglas is like, I'm, I need you to take, a, to take some soldiers out there and repair that line. I hated the character, which I guess, I, and it was the way Eric Douglas did what he could with that character, the way he played. The, I, 
The I thought he played the characters snivelly yeah. enough. Well, and I kept going back and forth on like who I was siding with because I'm like, I mean, I couldn't decide if Kirk Douglas was being too cutthroat, too aggressive that like they had to go and do the the thing, even even though everyone was gonna die and even though his own son might die. Um, he's like, is that too much? Or is Eric Douglas being too much, not like a wimp, but just be like, you're in the army. This is what it means to be in the army and you gotta do the thing that you're here to do. Um, and even though you might not like it, like you gotta do the orders of the general. But I, I kept kind of going back and forth on who I was like, not rooting for, but siding with. So the lieutenant, his son, wants to be, he wants out of the army. He wants his dad to discharge him. Yeah. And Kirk Douglas is like, I can't discharge you. <laughs> and but then Eric's this, this killer line, you never could do much for me, could you? <laughs> which is, I don't know if that's a jab for him like in real life, because Kirk Douglas could have opened up a lot of doors for him and I don't know if he did or he didn't, but yeah. if you look at Eric Douglas's IMDb page, this is the only starring role he's had. Mm -hmm. He had bit parts in a bunch of movies and television shows. Yeah, I mean, but maybe Michael Doug or uh, Kirk Douglas was also like, yeah, but ooh, you're pat, pat, pat on the head. You're you're great. Uh, but, but, well, don't get too down on him because we're going to talk about him and it's not good. Well, before we get into like the, the, I had this question and this is maybe a very nitpicky thing, but would they have even let Kirk Douglas be deployed in the same um, tent, trench, whatever the hell, uh, camp with his son? Like, and I remember, and I'm, I had this thought of like, do you know the Fighting Sullivan's story? I do not. Okay, it was. Um, I it might have also been World War One. I. Um, I only know this because there was a, a movie about it that I watched when I was a kid that I for some reason like really enjoyed. But it was a movie called The Fighting Sullivans. The short story is there's a group of five sons. They're all in the Navy, I think, um, and they all get you know. Is this a village people joke? It might become one if you keep interrupting me. Oh. <laughs> really? And you will. The one who the one who interrupted me with the major model of the modern major general. To be fair, you had stopped talking and I just cut in with that before you continued. <laughs> anyway, the five fighting Sullivans were brothers. They all deployed in the same uh, ship, I'm assuming, because I'm pretty sure it was the Navy. Um, and then that ship was torpedoed and they all died. And this is a true story. They all five of them died. Um, and then it was a thing after that where it's like, if you're in the same family, you can't be deployed at the same location. Like they won't, they won't let you for a variety of reasons. I think the reason they all died was because there was one brother that was trapped somewhere. So the other four were like, we can't leave Johnny behind. So they all went to go get him and then they all died. And they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't let family members fight side by side because it, it affects their judgment. And and I was wondering, and I didn't look it up because I forgot, but I'm wondering if that was before or after 1918, where that was like a rule now in the army and the Navy, whatever, where it's like father, son, no, 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 no. You guys gotta be in different areas because because and I feel like this situation just plays out entirely where you shouldn't be deployed with your son because, yeah, your judgment's affected. You're, you're very biased. Well, I think, one, World War One, it might not have been in effect then. And I think, two, that Kirk Douglas was such a high ranking general hmm. that he could have made the orders. I want my son with me. Maybe Kirk Douglas makes a deal with his son. He says, if you go on this mission and you repair those lines. I won't discharge you. However, I will transfer you to the rear, which mm. means you will not be on the for front lines anymore. And Eric Douglas is like, will you, you'll, you do that for me. And Kirk Douglas says, yes, my word is my bond, but you have to do this for me. Mm -hmm. They agree. So night falls, Eric Douglas and Lance Hendrickson and two other soldiers, they head out to repair the line in their communications. And they get to a point and they're, they're, all, they're all behind this ridge. Lance Hendricks is like, there it is. We got to go get it. And Can you see the break? That, that sergeant's crucified on the wire. Yeah. Christ, the Germans have moved the lines forward. What? How do you know? I can smell them. Sergeant. I don't see the point of going on now. 
I mean, the break is obviously too close to the German line. I think we should go back. It's only about 50 yards ahead, sir. It's too close to the German lines, goddammit. We're going back. We gotta do this. You've gotta do this. We need you. Listen, why don't you stay here? Guard the rear, sir. Let the men and me go fix the cable. Someone's gotta cover us. And this scene did a really good job at, at building the tension. Like I was actually a little like anxious watching them climb up the trenches and like do the stomach crawl through the dirt and then crouch down against the light like i was actually they i thought they did a nice job at that i wasn't expecting to like get as into that as i as i did so lance hendrickson he grabs him mm-hmm. and he's like no he gives him a whistle he goes we're gonna go repair the line if you see any germans blow that whistle to warn us it's like a soft like an owl kind of hoot. like a like, it's not like a shrill, piercing thing. It's slow and it's subtle. Yeah, it's not like a slide whistle. <laughs> it's not like a... Yeah. <laughs> hey, good looking. Come back to pick you up later. <laughs> He'll look some honeys. <laughs> nope, okay. I don't, why, I don't know why you're doing the chair dance. Once again, this is a podcast. <laughs> Shut up. So then they, they, they leave Eric Douglas by himself while the other three go fix the line, which was the one dumb thing Lance Henriksen did, because he should have known two of us go fix the line, two of us stay here. But I digress. Maybe they needed three. I don't know. I'm sure. We'll go with that. How many World War II soldiers does it take to repair a communication line? <laughs> three and a half. Because <laughs> there's a half. So now we have this close-up of of Eric Douglas's face, and he's got this gun, and he's just like, uh, he, he. he's so we're cutting back. He never went through boot camp. Like, he's holding yeah. it the way I would hold a gun if someone handed me a gun, and I've never held a, a gun. So I'm like, you should know how to hold a gun. So they're cutting back between Eric Douglas and the camp with Dan Aykroyd and Kirk Douglas. So we're cutting back and forth. Dan Aykroyd's like, any report, soldier, can't see anything, it's too dark. We cut back. Eric Douglas is still scared. We cut back to Kirk Douglas. They check the line. It's still dead, sir. And they get some some shots of, like, the darkness where you can sort of see the, like, the crouched backs of the his fellow soldiers and they're still working and then they keep looking over at the empty field where he, like, he seems like he's watching for the Germans and it's like, nothing's right. there, nothing's there. But then... This- well, before we go, the cinematography in this episode is beautiful. The way yeah. they use lights and shadows. Yeah. There's scenes where Kirk Douglas walks into a scene and you just see his 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 eyes lit by this sliver of light. And then, uh, like you said, on the battlefield, mm-hmm. it looks it's night, but you can see. Yeah. Nothing worse than one of those movies that take place at night and you can't see anything. It's the cinematography is just beautiful in this episode. But then I'm giving it to you. I'm Take the ball. Yeah, I got the ball running. Okay, but then through the empty battlefield where you can suddenly see some shadows start walking in and then you hear them going like, or whatever German, I don't know German, but they start walking in and it's the Germans and they're looking around and they see, and then they do the, the, the cutting back and forth between Eric Douglas and his eyes are like darting. He's like, oh no, the Germans. And they see, oh no. And the Germans are very clearly raising their guns about to start shooting at, at the American soldiers. And Eric Douglas slowly brings the whistle to his chin and just kind of stays there. And then... Well, he's afraid if he yeah. blows the whistle, that will attract their attention. They, they when, when Lance Harrickson Her- uh, hands it to him, he says, but this will alert them to my position. And that's like, 
shut up and take the whistle. But that's but that we're assuming that's why he's not blowing the whistle because then the Germans will like immediately see him. But then he's he's still holding the whistle and the Germans are about to shoot. But then I think he's so nervous he just drops it and makes like a clank, which then does attract the Germans to him. And then they're like, "I'm over there." Uh, and then they then it's like fire breaks out. Um, it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. We get a firefight and Eric Douglas. He falls into this, you know, behind this ridge and he's hiding and he's cowering. There's a couple of grenades thrown. And then all of a sudden, Lance Hendrickson just comes flying and landing on top of him. And he's like, you were supposed to warn us. You were supposed to warn us. His back is fucked up. Like his back back is is torn up up and like juicy and like stringy meat bits. It's like, it looks pretty damn gross and cool, but gross. And you're like, oh shit, Lance. And then he dies. And Eric's like, oh, no, and then just run. Okay, just to let you know that Emmy just did air quotes on a podcast. I will, because you and I both know what's going to happen. That's why I'm saying, yes. shut up. Oh, Lance Erickson doesn't actually die. That's why I was like, he dies. He comes back and. Oh, well, thanks for giving it away. Well, you gave it away when you pointed out my air quotes that were just for you. Ruined the whole day. All right, let's start from scratch. Top of the show. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd podcast. I'm your new host. Let me serve us and my guests. I am a very model of a modern major general. <laughs> Eric Douglas takes off back. He's this, sc- don't shoot! Don't shoot! It's me! And he jumps into the trenches. And, and Dan Aykroyd is there. And he's like, the Germans were waiting for us. It was, it an, was ambush. an ambush. It was an ambush. And he's, whole, he's like clutching the gun like it's like a like a precious little doll. He's like, I have tried to warn him. I shot as many Germans as I could. We couldn't do anything. And like the lies are just pouring out of his mouth. Like immediately. There was no hesitation. It just went from like I'm doing nothing to I'm lying my ass off. Because he thinks everyone's dead. No one's going to correct him, right? Right. You might have been able to see his position. Okay, I'm I'm a pacifist. I don't want to kill. I don't want to die. You might be able to see his point of view up until now. This now he's just a scumbag at this point. Yes, because he now just, you have now you have no sympathy for him. Because now, because he literally just let them die. Like I, I also like I also don't want to kill people. I'm a pacifist. I would not want to be in the army. But if I was there and like I had the whistle, like like you give them a chance. You blow the whistle like two 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 little like boops and be like, I tried. If that didn't work, I tried. He doesn't do that at all. So. That's where that's where I'm like, no, now I'm now I'm not so sure about you. He goes into the bunker. His dad is there, the general. And he once again, he's like, there was a, it was an ambush, dad. I, I, I and I killed them all. I killed all the Germans. They got our guys, but I killed them all. And at this point, Kirk Douglas believes him. He believes him. He believes. Does. I yeah. Think- OK, we're going to go with he believes him. Because I did, I don't think they finished fixing the wire. So he's like, because he says something like, oh, well, you know, you did the best you could. Like you tried. And I think he, I think he believes that they tried and failed, but that he did try. Because there's, there's nothing at that point to make him believe that it's not true. Like, you know, he, his son might have like retreated and been like less willing to go forth, but he hadn't lied yet. So I think at this point he like believes him, but is. He, he either believes him or he wants to believe him. Right. One of the two. He says, son, I'm proud of you. Yes. <laughs> and at that point. Oh, no, no. And, and, and then, and this is when Eric, because uh, he said, you know, we didn't fix the line. He said, but you'll still transfer me to the back, right? You'll still do that? And, the, and then he says, yes, I will. Because oh, I'm a man of my word. I always keep my word. I always keep my word to my men. And then at that point, Dan Aykroyd comes in with Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. And he comes in and Lance Hendrickson is holding his helmet over his stomach. And we're going to get, we'll get to it. <laughs> he was coward, sir. He oh, could die. you? You oh, let could you? die. Your own men. <sighs> is this true, son? Uh, no. 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 He's, 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 he's obviously lying, dad. At this point, <laughs> Lance Hendrickson takes his helmet off and his guts just go spilling out onto the floor in front of him. Once again, I, it was played. It was played for a. I think it was played for a laugh. It had to be played for. A I laugh. think. I think so. There, and, in a world where that's not getting a laugh. Yes, it, that, it was just played for a laugh. 
But 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 I will say Lance Hedrickson played that part perfectly that that, that uh, um, moment perfectly because he came in and he wasn't he was holding the helmet but it wasn't inherently obvious because I watched the episode twice and the first time I didn't notice that the helmet was there until he pulled it away and so like it was really well timed. It was because I didn't I didn't notice the helmet either yeah. until he pulls it away and his guts yeah. are hanging out. Yeah, it was like ah. And it was, and then it wasn't like a big like whoop a doo like he didn't do like big jazz hands or there wasn't like a big like oh I'm spinning the utensils around. It was just like Burp. and it was very realistic. And then he like falls over and does like a death, a death gasp of like what the hell is going on here? You yellow bastard! Get the medics. They're on the way, sir. No. Damn, coward. Ripper! No! He saw the German patrol come around behind us. He could have warned us, but he didn't. He's yellow. Martin, is this true? No, sir. Look, the sergeant's obviously delirious. He's a coward. He gave the Germans his own men. That is a goddamn lie, sir. I told you I shot the Germans. You're a liar. You left me to die. Which I actually was, I thought that was a very believable dying death threat or whatever. I liked that moment. I was like. Oh, so once again, I made, I made an assumption. I yeah. thought, oh, Lance Hendrickson is going to come back to life somehow ah. and track down. I'm like, okay, Kirk Douglas is going to believe him. And, and Lance Hendrickson is going to come back from the dead and hunt down mm-hmm. Eric Douglas. That is not the case. I was a hundred percent wrong. I was a hundred percent wrong on that. But it's a plausible point, uh, plot for a tales of the. Crypt. It is a plausible plot. Uh, it is a plot. Plausible, plausible plot. plot. Plausible it's plot. A, it's a plausible plot for this movie, Don't but that does not happen. I was I totally whiffed on that one. Yeah, eh, it's all right. It happens. Right. Yeah, you get it right all the time. All the time. Never wrong. Yes. <laughs> one, two, four words. This is my life. Hey, anyway. you were going to have... Okay, moving on. Um, Lance Henriksen dies. And um, and the, uh, I forget who says something, but then Eric Douglas goes, well, it's his word against mine. And he's dead at this point. And Dan Aykroyd's like, yeah, that's true. And you can tell from Dan Aykroyd's face, like Dan Aykroyd 100% knows that Eric Douglas is fucking full of crap and there's no way that he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But there's really no way to prove it at that point. So I feel like in that moment, Dan Eckert is like, yep, there's, there's no way to prove it. We could just let this go. Mm-hmm. We could just move on. We could just move, cause like, because it's true. There's no way to prove, there's no, it's not my word against mine. There's no like, there's no, the other man didn't survive. There's no one left to like really fight Eric Douglas on this point. They could have let this go and just been like, all right, you're transferred, I'm done with you. I think Dan Aykroyd was doing that for Kirk Douglas's. Yes, oh, I, I think so too. I think that was a very clear, like, we can't prove it. We're going to let this go. And Kirk Douglas then goes, Is that the gun that you used? Because now Kirk Douglas is like, Fuck no, we're not letting this go. And then he hands over the And I think the minute he says that, Eric Douglas looks down at the gun and his face just goes, Oh, shit. But this led to my question of, could. Is this a way to like, can you look at a gun and like hold it and smell and like no? There, you can definitely tell if a gun's been fired or not. Okay. Well, what he did was he opened it and he looked. I'm there guessing and, there were bullets in there still. There were. And he's he looks at it and he's like, this gun has not been fired. And he slaps his son, arrest him. Arrest immediately, court martial him. And he, go, and he goes, goes to Dan Aykroyd, get you and four other officers and we're going to convene in the church and we're going to court martial my son in an hour. Mm-hmm. And Dan Aykroyd's like, are you sure you want to do that? Aren't you being a bit like rational thing? And then I think Eric, um, uh, Kirk Douglas yells, yells something like, there will be no cowards in my army. But uh, but the subtext of that is like, no cowards in my family. 
My son will not be a coward. My son will not be a coward. Yeah. Yeah. The alternate title of this episode. We see the end of the court martial. Guilty as charged. Kirk Douglas says we're going to shoot him at sunrise. Yeah. Death by execution. Firing squad. Death by execution. Take his shoelaces. We don't want him to hang himself. And I thought Eric should have taken it worse. He takes it like, oh, shit. I think for for a man who's scared to die, I think he would have taken it harder i don't know i could let that go in and chalk it up to like just shock that it's like that disbelief of this isn't really happening there's no way this is actually happening like i could let that go because then in the next scene he does break a little bit it's like yeah he probably would have had a bigger reaction but also but i could also just i could picture that like wave of just like numb coming over you of like oh fuck (laughs) like i really fucked this up so i I don't disagree, but I'm also willing to like let that one slide. Once again, Dan Aykroyd tries to talk Kirk Douglas out of it. Aren't you being yep. a little hasty, sir? Yep. Dan Aykroyd, he plays a level-headed captain, and he's sympathetic to both sides. A really good dramatic role. No, he, he none of the comedy in this episode is yep. by Dan Aykroyd. He plays it completely straight. All the comedy falls on Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. And- it's it's an interesting thing because like it's the kind of role that I never would have thought of Dan Aykroyd for because it's almost it's almost like a nothing part like this part is literally just kind of to be the the per like the person on the general's shoulder going like are you sure though are you sure you want to do that and that and like that could be anybody um, so I I thought this is I thought the casting of Dan Aykroyd in that role was actually interesting because it almost felt like a waste of Dan Aykroyd I think just my opinion. Kirk Douglas is going to be in this. It's going to be directed by Robert Zemeckis. It's like, yeah, I, I want to be a part of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can see why Dan Aykroyd wanted to do it. I just, knowing what Dan Aykroyd is, like, capable of and, like, the caliber of his talent, I'm like, if, if it's, it's, like, a shame that it was such a small, thankless role, but I'm, like, nothing against him. Um, he played it like, I don't want to say he played it like a small, thankless role, but he played it right. He didn't go over the top. He wasn't. He didn't try to he make wasn't try to. He didn't want, you know, he wasn't trying to steal. Yeah. He wasn't trying to steal the scene. He left that to Lance Hendrickson. He knew what the assignment was because he knew like. Yes. He knew knew what the assignment was. And that is, that's the sign of a great actor and a professional. I know what the assignment is. This is what I was hired to do. I'm not going to do any more. I'm not going to do any less. Yeah. And like, and it's funny because even though the Lance Hendrickson is like a smaller role, that role is more important. And and that's obviously like it's about the father and the son and and so like Dan Eckwood coming in being like I'm here to just it's it's like a very subtle touch with that part but like it's still important because it kind of I feel like it almost like frames the son and the father separately of like given like supplied with choices that I'm kind of like egging like pushing you in a certain direction like here's what you're choosing to do so it's like not like the devil and angel on the shoulder exactly but something about that Kirk Douglas goes and visits his son. Mm. He's being held in the church. Like the dungeon. It looked, this scene was very heavy. It was very heavy. And it also showed the lacking difference, the acting, the lacking acting difference between father and son. The lacking acting? The lacking acting. Lacking acting. But yes, 100% yes. This was, this was another scene where Kirk Douglas just carried Eric all the way through it. They go, you weren't, you weren't a very good dad. Well, you weren't a very good lieutenant. I don't want to die. Kirk Douglas is like, you're not going to die. Well, before, before we even get there, um, there was uh, this like one moment where Kirk Douglas is still kind of like, yeah, you didn't do your thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and then um, Eric Douglas is like, why? Because I'm afraid to die. Is that such a bad thing? Yeah, I'm afraid to die. And now here I am. I'm about to die. And then he like, he does break down for a moment. But then he breaks down. And this is like the one moment that I'm like, oh, that's some good acting. And then they cut to the next shot. And immediately he's like, so dad, what do you get like totally calm and like, just it was a very jarring like edit. Um, but but like, I thought that was a nice moment of like, yeah, it's like, I why can't we say that we're afraid to die? Is that so taboo that we can't just be like, yeah, this is fucking scary. We might die today. Like 200 men went to take that hill, 30 came back. I like, I don't want to be one of those 200 on the hill or whatever. Like, I thought that was a valid point. It is a valid point. There's nothing wrong to be afraid to die, mm-hmm. but to to have your cowardice 
cost the lives of other men, that's a different issue. That is a different issue. But also, this is the scene, I believe, where Eric Douglas was like, I never wanted to be in this army. I never wanted to do this. I did this for you because you wanted this for me. I went to West Point. I went through boot camp. I joined the army. Here I am. I did this for you, for you to like see me and acknowledge me. And now here we are. Like, yeah, I'm here in this war and I'm like letting you down and, and, and retreating and all this crap. But like, I never wanted this. I never wanted to be here. And like, you were just pushing me here so so like yeah eric's kind of a scumbag and yeah he let his men die but i also felt like he, he didn't choose this this was not a thing that he would have put himself in willingly if it wasn't for his dad like kind of forcing i don't want your life <laughs> more guns less footballs but yes <laughs> Kirk Douglas is just as much to blame as for those yes. men dying as Eric Douglas. I feel like they're both culpable. Um, yes. Eric Douglas made bad choices. Yes. He shouldn't have done what he did. Absolutely not. But he wouldn't be in this position had his dad not pushed him into this corner. So I don't think his dad is entirely blameless in this. His dad and Kirk Douglas doesn't want his son to reflect badly on his name. Right. That's why he doesn't want his son to be a coward. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, if you knew your son was so weak and so milquetoast, yeah. why would you bring him into the army knowing that there was a good chance that he would disgrace your name? I, don't, I genuinely don't know. Like, it seemed like weird judgment. Maybe it was just so he was so prideful. He was just assuming that under his guidance and like in his wing or whatever the hell that like, he just blossomed to become this man of the field. But that's, that's why I, that's why I, when we go back to the scene where he comes in and he says, I killed all the Germans. That's why I feel that he might not believe him, but he wants to believe him because he knows what his son is. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't fit in with the fact of him killing Germans. I think it was, it's just all for show yeah. because there's a line that we missed. I need the, res it was something like, I need the respect of my men. I would not ask my men to do something that I wouldn't ask my son to do, Yeah, which is basically saying, I need you to do this to prove that you're not. It's all it's all wrapped up in, in Kirk Douglas's ego. Yes. His son has to be his son can't be a coward. His son has to be a hero. His son has to save the day because that reflects on him. I did think that was a good point that Kirk Douglas said about like, I wouldn't ask uh, I wouldn't ask anyone to do this if I wouldn't be willing for my son to do it. Too. Like, because I think that was like a fair thing of like, I'm not going to give you special treatment because you're my son. I'm not going to like not make you do this just because you're my son. It's because you're my son that I need to show that like any, any one of you need to go do this mission. So like that I thought was fine, but 100%. Yeah. The whole thing is wrapped up in like, no son of mine's going to be yellow. No, Yes. He, he did a dog impression at the end of that speech. <laughs> that was my Lance Hendrickson dying impression. So, okay. So, but now we're at the point where the, Eric Douglas is like, I'm going to die. And all the things I did was to keep from dying because I'm scared and now I'm going to die anyway. And then Kirk Douglas goes, ah, 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 ah. Maybe not. I haven't been much of a father to you. And I wasn't around most of the time. When I was young, I never saw much of my father, but that's the way it is in military families. And all I ever wanted from you or for you to see you follow the line, but I was wrong. I see that now. It's wrong to force you into that mold, and I'm sorry. Well, it's a little late for you to be thinking about that. About an hour, I'm gonna die. No. It's not too late. You're not going to die. You think I'd kill my own son? Martin, listen to me. There's always a blank in one of the rifles in the firing squad. Leaves a question of doubt as to who fired the failed shots. And I'm the one who loads the rifles. This time, I'll load them all with blanks. When the squad fires, I want you to pretend you're dead. The division will be moving out almost immediately. I've already issued orders. 
I'll make up a pack for you. New identity card, some money, rations. I'll put it in the ditch where you fall. As soon as the company moves out, you take off. You understand? You really gonna do that for me? Sure. No, but there's one thing I want you to do. Face that firing squad like a man. I want you to show them that you have courage. Show them that you're not afraid. You can do that. Can't you, son? Yes, sir. I'm in charge. And he goes, and I didn't know this. He goes, he goes, when there's a firing squad, one person always has a blank. I, I think I, there's a blank in every gun or something like that. Because he was he goes, no, he goes, there's a blank in one gun, but they never know which one is in. I, I don't under I don't know. I, I don't get that. I wonder yeah, if it's that, like, a, like a superstition, kind of like a tradition, kind of one of those. We don't know why we do it, we just do it now. Because that made no sense to me. But I was like, I guess it's okay. and maybe for the firing squad, they can it maybe I didn't kill him. I might have had the blank in my gun, so there's maybe a chance that I didn't kill him. Yeah, maybe it's like plausible credibility kind of thing. It's yeah, psychological. I don't know. Sure. But apparently when apparently in a firing squad, one gun has a blank. And he says, I'm the one who loads the guns. What I'll do is I'll put a blank in every gun. You'll get shot, you'll pretend to die, you'll fall into the ditch behind you. I'll have a sack there with new identity, money, and a map. I've already ordered a retreat. So we're going to leave so immediately. No one. We're going to leave immediately after the execution. So nobody will be there to, to prove that you're dead. You'd really do that for me, Dad? He go, yes, I would. But you've got to do one thing for me. What's that, Dad? You've got to stand in front of the firing squad as a man. And you have to, you have to be a man and accept your responsibility and accept the firing squad. And at that point, I knew exactly how it was going to end. Oh, I knew how it was going to end the minute he said, I'm going to have a new passport and money and like a map waiting for you. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. This one I called correctly. Me as well. So maybe in 1991, it came as a twist. But now it was just. Yeah, it was. Oh, I saw. Yeah, I I know exactly what's going to happen. And I knew exactly what's going to happen. And then I thought, no, that's too obvious. There's got to be a twist. That's just too obvious of a thing to happen. But the, uh, what is it? The Ackman's razor? Yeah. The most, log- you know, the most logical thing to happen is going to happen. That's what happened. That's what happened. So, so for, for, the, for those that haven't caught up to what we're alluding to, uh, Kirk Douglas essentially lies to his son's face, says that I'm going to load all the guns with blanks. You're going to pretend to die. Then you'll go live a long, happy life somewhere over the rainbow lie 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 bullets in the gun his son dies but he dies walking calmly to the stand he says a very poetic little thing about you know i'm not my father i tried real hard made some mistakes but i did i did what i thought was best and i did many quotes shakespeare which was like all right um but he's like very calm very eloquent would you like a blindfold no thank you cigarette cigarette no oh thank you i'll have a drink but like I'm ready now. Like, so calm, so cool. And everyone's looking. I'm like, oh. He's been drinking from this flask yeah. through the entire episode. Yeah. And he takes one last drink out of this flask. And he's, before he takes a drink, he salutes his father. His father salutes back. Mm-hmm. And, and he Dan takes Ackroyd, a drink. Dan and then, the one that, like, walks forward. He's like, did you want the cigarette? Did you want any last words? And Dan Ackroyd, <laughs> one little thing. Dan Ackroyd walks around, like, when he's, like, they're ready to, to shoot. And Dan Ackroyd turns around. Uh, walks past the firing squad and then does this fantastic toe point twirl around into position. Go back and watch it again. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, yeah, Dan Aykroyd reads the charges yeah. against him. I had this one thought because while he's reading the charges and Eric uh, Douglas is standing there on the stand podium thing and he's looking at all of the men in the company and like, and there's the thought of like, oh, all these men in the company who are looking down on me for being a traitor. But I, but I also had the thought of like, look at all those men that he probably saved because of that retreat. Maybe. I also noticed that one of the soldiers was a, a black man. And did we have integrated? Oh, 
soldiers in World War One? I? I don't I, remember. I'm, I'm not sure about that. So again, I did notice that. What happens next? It's it's very very subtle, but I but I loved it. Eric Douglas is standing, and he's also he's almost got a smirk on his face. Like screw you guys, I'm going to him. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, Dan Aykroyd is like ready, <laughs> aim. <laughs> you know the drums, and he looks okay. at his father. Oh, he's looking at his father the whole time. Their their eyes are locked yeah. the entire time until. And as soon as Dan Aykroyd says aim. Kirk Douglas can't look his son in the eye, looks down at the ground. And at that exact moment, Eric Douglas realizes, oh, shit. Because you see that, like, even, like, as cutthroat and cold as Kirk Douglas is, he still can't watch his son die. And in that last moment, his son knows that his dad murdered him just now, basically. And it's, like, such a, like, that moment just, like, oh, I felt that. But, and then, yeah, and then he dies and he, like, gets shot right out of his boots. He falls into the trench. We never see what's, he, and actually, so before he does, he looks back and there is a package in the trench. Is so that, he, there, yeah. I mean, there's, there's like a whole bunch of bodies, like, laid in. There was a whole bunch of bodies, but there's a package. Watch it for a third time. Oh. There's, there's a package in there. So he looks back, he sees the package. He's like, okay. He gets blown away. And then at the end, we get a close-up. I should have written it down. Damn it, well, I didn't write down. Hold, hold uh, on, I, I remember what it is. But before before the close-up, it, they come up. Uh, he's like, and Eric has this one, this one like final moment of like laying amongst the other bodies, and just like I'm like he kind of lifts his head and looks around, but that's all he got. And then he just like, and then he dies. So he has like a brief moment of just being like, oh crap. And then Dan Aykroyd and uh, Kirk Douglas walk up and. And they look at him and Dan Aykroyd's like, well, I have to say, I'm impressed. He took it like a man. And then Kirk Douglas says in this like snake-like voice, yes, my son is not yellow or whatever. But like the look on his face and the way he said it was like reptilian almost. It was real creepy. But then is the the faded, the close-up of the, the flask, which says, um, to my son, let courage be thy name, love dad. I almost wondered like, did he... Did he get, did he remember getting that for him? Like, it, cause it almost seemed like the kind of thing that like, he just like, yeah, get my son a present or whatever. Like have it say something about courage. Like, I don't know. I don't, I was, cause like when he was drinking it all throughout the, the, the episode, there was never like any kind of flicker of recognition in Kirk Douglas's eyes. And like when he took the sip at the very end and like he like paused a moment, and, like looked at his dead, like shit from the flask. He didn't flinch at that. So I don't know. I, I, I wondered if the flask, meant more to Eric Douglas than it did to his dad. Probably did, but... It might have. Yeah. And then we get the epilogue with the Crypt Keeper. Or puns! And that was it. That was the episode of Yeller. Yeller. This Yeller. episode was... Usually Tales from the Crypt were half-hour episodes or 22-minute episodes. What was this, an hour one? This No, this was 40 minutes. Well, so. No commercials, though. I mean, no had- commercials, yes. So this was the lo- this this was the longest tales from the from the crypt episode out of all the seasons. Oh, okay, like ever ever. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, what did you think of Yellow? Um, it was it was interesting because I hadn't seen an episode of Tales from the Crypt in a long time, and I feel like this this episode probably is not your typical tone. I feel like this probably was a little bit darker, or not darker, but like more serious and. Uh, heavy material than usual. Cause like I, I watched a few more just because I was having fun and they're a bit more over the top, kind of frivolous or like a little more like, well, what you wish for. And this one is, is like more subtle and like, um, it has, I don't know. So, but I, I actually enjoyed it. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, and it, hurt. I enjoyed it too. I, I just like the end of it. Like, Oh, I just felt that just that, Oh, that betrayal just hurt so much. Eric Douglas died at 46 years old. Did he? Yes. From a, he combined, it was an accidental death. Oh. He had, he combined uh, alcohol and tranquilizers and sleeping Ooh, drugs. ooh, that's not a thing you do. He had a drinking problem. He had several DUIs. Oh. Uh, which, 
it's weird how it parallels this, how he's always, yeah. he's drinking through this entire episode. And that's was one of the downfalls. Yeah. Oh man. He no. tried to become a stand-up comedian. Interesting. Wouldn't have thought that. Uh, apparently a lot of his material was being the black sheep of the Douglas family. Okay. I could see how that um, could be. And yeah, knowing the other caliber levels of the Douglas family, I could see how that would be. Something to me, this episode is just like a metaphor. I'm sure if Kirk Douglas wanted to, he could have gotten his son a lot more work. Yeah. Unless his son didn't want to. It's like, Dad, I'm going to make it on my own. Maybe, maybe. But in this episode, the lieutenant says the general didn't do a lot for him. Mm -hmm. To me, it just seems like that's what happened in real life, too. I'm but not, I, I, don't, I have no idea about that. Maybe he tried to help him. He didn't want his help or... You know, it's like, I'm not going to help you until you clean up your act. Maybe. Whatever. And it's it's real. And I didn't know that he died so young. It's really sad. And like the parallels now of like the reality of the episode are even closer. That's oh man. Why are you bumming me out? Kirk Douglas was 75 when this was made. And Eric Douglas was 33. Hmm. So he had him at 42. Okay. That's not... Uh, Okay, that yeah, you know, that's not too old. That, that's not a old old dad. Like that's in, in like today's era, more people are having kids at that age, like later in life. And the what was it? That must have been like sixties or seventies. Like that probably was a bit old for that time to be having kids. Um, because at and that era, people were like cranking them out in like early twenties. But right. Um, but but like yeah, forty two to have a kid is not un unreasonable. And of course. Kirk Douglas, second marriage, he married a woman much younger than he was, so I'm sure she wanted a baby. Right, yes, yes, yes. So I would recommend this episode. Yes, it's, as you say, it's not as, it's not as wacky as other yeah. Tales from the Crypt episodes. I, I probably wouldn't say it's like a classic Tales from the Crypt episode. Like, I don't know, I get, again, like, it's been a while since I've watched them, so I don't know what, like, the classic episodes are, but I don't know that this is one of them because it's so... It feels so much different in the tone, um, but it is a very enjoyable episode. Um, and like I said, Kirk Douglas was nominated for an Emmy for his role. Surprising on like a few because yes, he's excellent in it, but it is Tales from the Crypt. So I'm I'm more surprised that whatever the Academy is for the Emmys would acknowledge that. Um, maybe it was more maybe it was more Kirk Douglas than Tales from the Crypt. Oh yes, but I'm I'm saying like I'm surprised that they nominated him despite of Tales. Like, I would have thought they'd be like, it's Kirk Douglas, yeah, but it's Tales of the Crypt. We can't have that on our record, shoo, shoo, shoo. So I'm impressed that they gave it to him anyway. And I, I looked some stuff up on IMDb, and one of the, it's only got eight facts. One is, it's one says, rare dramatic role for Dan Aykroyd, and Dan Aykroyd's name is spelled wrong. <laughs> but, but this was after Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, interesting. Um... But like at this point, how much of his of Dan Aykroyd's content was common? Like the percentages, because if I'm sure it was a lot, and I'm I mean I'm sure it was a straight dramatic role, but it's like he he had done them before. Right, right. I, but I just like it's IMDb. It's like it's not Wikipedia. It's IMDb because Dan Aykroyd's Who's name better? is spelled wrong in one, but it's because uh, apparently Kirk Douglas and Dan Aykroyd worked together in another movie in 1999. Did they? What movie was that? I can't remember. I can't think of the name of it. How dare you? I did look it up um, on the side while we were talking about something else. The Fighting Sullivan story I was talking about earlier, that was World War II. So the father-son of the same camp wouldn't have been an issue in the Great War because uh, that wasn't you know, a thing until later. I'm sure we were still learning with wars in World War I. <laughs> what can we do better, gentlemen? How can we make this war better than the last one? Fewer deaths? Nah, more deaths, but the strategy. How can we do the strategy better? Because it's a very, like, it's a, look up the story of the, of the Sullivan's. Like, it's it's really sad because literally all five sons in one torpedoing of the ship killed. Like, it's just, and and that is why you're not, they don't let you do that anymore. Because isn't Saving Private Ryan, um, when they're, they're all trying to find uh, Matt Damon, but is, isn't it like there was another son that was like, stationed somewhere else and they're like well he he died over here we got to go find the other one because he's the one left right all the other sons died yeah and, and first i guess if you're the last son 
left. You, I don't you know. get to go home. I don't know if that's the thing they do for like every family, but um, but I but I remember that being a thing of like they were all stationed apart because it's just her. Because it's true though. Like if you're fighting next to your relative, it's gonna skew your judgment. You're gonna like not be able to think as clearly as if you're just like among non-relatives. At least for me, it would. All right. Well, that was Tales from the Crypt. We both recommend it. It's not gonna be your typical Tales from the Crypt episode. But it's got solid. It's got solid performances from Kirk Douglas, Dan Aykroyd, and Lance Hendrickson. Damn! And <laughs> damn! And Eric, Eric does his best with all this. This is an all male cast. There's no females in this at all. This is an all male cast. I guess it's getting set in World War One. Right. Which I would like shake a finger. I'd be like, hold on now. But it was set in the Great War of 1918. We're like, I'm pretty sure they didn't let the ladies fight at that. Point. I don't think there were a lot of women not on the that. battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> not at not at that time. Um, so despite the fact there was a lack of estrogen, I still very much enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what do you want to promote? Um, let's see. I mean, I'm uh, always performing uh, with my sketch group, Suzzy. We've got a website, suzzyboston.com. We're on YouTube, suzzyboston.com. Um, Comedy Sports Boston is doing matches again. Uh, we just we just had tryouts this past weekend, so we're going to have some fresh new players take the field soonish. Very exciting. Uh, we're having matches on Saturdays, so if you're in the Boston area, come check us out. Check out our website, Um If you're if you're near Houston, uh, don't go see Scott. something else all right that's it i want to thank my guest emmy for doing this with me and we'll see everybody here next time on the dan Aykroyd podcast once again it's a podcast nobody can see you (laughs) so just take the wrestling mask off hey it's cozy to support this podcast please go to www.patreon.com slash scott white and give what you're able If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I guess Martin finally learned his lesson. No guts, no gory. (laughs) Well, gotta go, kiddies. It's time for my shots. Yes, yes, oh yes. Boy, I get a bang out of that. has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. Permit me, General. He died like a man. Yes. My son is not yellow. <laughs>